Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. I wish I'd never seen that horrible thing. What fresh hell. Laughing in the face of motherhood. You are four years old. Like, get your act together. With Margaret Abels and Amy Wilson. I am an embarrassingly fast eater. A podcast that solves today's parenting dilemmas so you don't have to. It's baked in the cake. Hello, everyone, and welcome to What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. And today we are talking about whether comparing our kids is ever useful. I'm interested. Like the easy answer is it's bad, but it's way more complicated than that. So first, I would like today to talk about why kids in the same family are so different. Okay. Second of all, how we may unwittingly contribute to that dynamic. Yes. And then get to like, I know I'm not supposed to say like, why can't you sit still like your brother? I get on the service that that's probably going to be a no. But are there ways in which comparing our kids is ever useful? Love this for us. Let's do it. Let's dive in. I know. It's nice and clear. You know what? This topic was suggested by a longtime listener. Also somebody I know in real life. Hi, Amory. Her name's Amory. And she wrote in on Facebook to say, I know we are not supposed to compare our kids, but sometimes that feels impossible. Our oldest is very type A and very anxious about doing well in school. Our youngest also does well in school, but is very laid back about it, almost too laid back sometimes. Amory says, I just wonder if his attitude is intentional because he saw how stressed his sister is. Is it a useful exercise to compare when trying to understand our kids' patterns of behavior? Of course, Emery says, we never use comparing language when talking to the kids, but it is fascinating that my kids are so alike in some ways and also so different from one another. This episode, I can tell already, is going to get the Lady Gaga song, Born This Way, stuck in my head. Baby, I was born this way. (laughs) Or is it, Amy? All right. Yeah. The research says something a little different. Research suggests that there's something called adaptive divergence among humans, just like there's adaptive divergence among animals, and that actually human siblings, yes, they are dissimilar. It's not your imagination. They're very dissimilar, and they actually become more dissimilar over time. So kids are not born the same. But they also actually become more different from each other over the years. 
they learn the behavior of differentiating. I find this surprising because I always argue that we grow into like the same face, that we like become less distinguishable from each other. That's true. Maybe we're not like our sisters in middle age. We're drawing from our own personal thing, right? I definitely have three kids who are very, very different from each other. Yes, and so do I. Three kids who are very, very different from each other. Can I ask you a little poll of two? P-O-L-L of the two of us. Is your first child more different from your second child than from your third child? Yes. Like are the first and third not so opposite but first and second super opposite Yes, but it's a little tricky because my first is uh, neurodivergent, so it might be a slight outlier. I don't know how to answer that. I'm sorry. I'm not even asking it, clearly, but... I get it. Like, is there more differentiation between the first and second than the second and third? Yes. It's called de-identification, and studies show that siblings who are closer in age are more likely to de-identify. Like, I have two boys who are... 19 months apart and made in an opposite making machine, as you like to say about you and me. Just picture like Margaret and Amy, but boys, yeah. (laughs) But young, but teenagers. They're very, very different. And that's like science says they're supposed to be that way. And there's a reason for that. And if they were five years apart or if there were a boy and a girl, they wouldn't be quite as de-identified as they are. But like, it's a thing. Yeah, that makes sense to me. That makes sense to me. My sister and I were Kate Martin, who you'll be hearing on our first bonus episode of the What Fresh Hell podcast. And we talk about this, that we grew up, uh, I think you say snows (laughs) white and rose red. Like we were definitely like I had like white blonde hair. She had dark hair and we were opposites. Yeah, I have sisters who are 11 months apart, and they are, yeah, just like complete, they looked alike, but they were complete opposites. This is, by the way, called a zigzag trend within a family. I thought that was an interesting term that like, the first one is over here, the second one is like way over here, then the third one kind of comes back to maybe closer to where the first one was, because they don't have to de-identify from the one that's two kids away from them, just one kid's away. So what you're saying, let me put my Michael Barbaro voice on for a second. So what you're saying is <laughs> yes, that kids do this for a reason that like it's subliminal or whatever the word is not it's subconscious right but that they for some biological reason are driven to be as different as possible from a closely spaced same gender sibling yes do i have it amy that's correct in fact natural selection right, which is driving the reasons we do all the things we do, it favors species that face the least competition. I watched a really sad documentary with my son. There were spoonbills and there were two little spoonbills and one was healthy, two siblings, two eggs. Yes. And one was healthy and the other one was a little bit weaker. And the mom only fed the strong one. And then whenever the mom left, the strong one would peck the weak one until it died. And my son and I both cried for like three hours about it. We were so upset and we had to turn off. It was that Africa documentary that everybody was wild about a couple of years ago. Ruined my life. I wish I'd never seen that horrible thing. And now I had to see it. So yeah, you all have to hear about it. it the research, there's a, I, I put a link in the show notes, Dr. Frank Soloway. He wrote a very influential essay called Why Siblings Are Like Darwin's Finches, Birth Order, Sibling Competition, and Adaptive Divergence Within the Family. And yes, it's all full of like, here's a seal, like, you know, not kicking. What does seal do with its fin? Sort of push, I guess I would say. He's not kicking. Flapping, flooping, finning. Yeah, finning at the weaker sibling. Yeah, it's just all examples of like, too bad, like, weak kid. You don't belong here. So yeah, we're competing for resources. As you say, like, we don't know we're doing it at all. 
but we have to be different in order to survive. So evolution suggests, you know, Darwin sort of suggested that we evolve through evolution. We get what we need to survive by being divergent. But humans accomplish this through learned behavior. And through the idea that like you already have a smart, studious one. I'm going to be the fun one. So you keep me in the nest. Yes. And, and Anne-Marie said in the introduction, like, do you think my kid who's more laid back has decided like, well, she seems really stressed. So I'm going to be laid back. I don't think it usually comes to that level of awareness. But it's baked in the cake, as you like to say. It's baked in the cake. And here's what's interesting. We know this, right? We can see this in our kids like, mom, my kids are so different. And they grew up in the same house, right? Like, how could this be? Well, psychologists say they didn't really grow up in the same house. We only think our kids are growing up with the same input. They're actually growing up with different input. Yeah, that makes sense. Right? And there's a couple of reasons for that. One of the reasons is that the important events in your kids, I say like the arrival of the third sibling or the year that you moved or the year that the parents split up or whatever these important events in the lives are happen at different developmental stages for your different kids. And so they're different events. And so it, it shapes them completely differently. Sure. That's one. Other scientists say that, in fact, the parents create a sort of micro environment for each one of their kids that is different. Again, we're not trying to do this. I was just talking about this with my youngest. When I flew with them, when they were all very little, I used to have to fly with them to visit family. And I mean, they were like six months, three and four. That's how old my kids were. And I would travel with them by myself. And the four-year-old had to sit across the aisle because I'd have a, a car seat for the baby, right? So it would be like the car seat, me in the middle, the three-year-old and the four-year-old across the aisle who would always have a boo-boo face like, oh, I don't want to sit by this man. I'm all by myself. As my little one used to say, I don't want to sleep lonely. <laughs> yeah. He didn't want to sit lonely. Yeah, like right across the aisle, but still. And I would be like, you are four years old. Like, get your act together. Put it together. <laughs> Meanwhile, if he was your first, you'd be like, booty, baby, look, sit with mama. No, but I mean, if he was your only. Oh, my only. If he was your only, he would still at four be getting the like, sit with mommy. I read a book. Let's look out the window. Like, right. 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 And my, of course, my baby, when my baby was four, it was like, no, no, no. She, you know. She couldn't possibly sit by herself. She couldn't possibly sit by herself and across the aisle, whatever, so that I am, of course, unwittingly creating a micro environment for my children in which they're treated differently. That tracks. Yes. And let's just pause to be extremely clear that these are things that happen within every family and are not preventable or fixable. What we like to say, Amy, morally neutral. Yes. That like it happens in every family that people get different resources, different amounts of attention. If you have a two-year-old while your parent is extremely sick, and you're spending a lot of resources on that, you'll have less resources for the two-year-old. But that's fine, too. Maybe more resources wouldn't have done that kid any favors. Adaptive divergence. There are things that that kid would get out of that different environment that are probably useful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just think it's important to stress that this is not like you have to stop doing this thing where you put your four-year-old... Anything you do is a micro-environment. Yes, you can't help it. Right. Your kids can't help being different. That's right. No, it's the water. You can't stay out of the water. Right, right. And there is another thing we do. There's, so there's two more ways that we can contribute to this. And I think one is like, it's not necessarily bad. It's just true. And the other one is maybe we could put some attention on it. So the first one is that our kids are different, right? Like one's, one likes to run and one likes to draw or whatever it is. And then as these kids grow, we see the things that they're good at. 
and that they love. And then we help them as their parents fine tune those abilities by signing the one up for little league and taking the other one to a dance class or whatever. And then through completely loving acts that we should be doing as parents, we are contributing to making the kids more different instead of less different. Also, just by doing that. Sure. Just by loving them. Right. So that's fine, too. Yes. And by just existing within the household, like I definitely have a kid who I sometimes worry is a little bit like, like he's the family entertainer. And I will say I crack up till I'm crying because he is unbelievably funny. But sometimes and maybe it's because this was kind of my role in the family. I look at it like, kid, you could take the top hat and cane off for a while and relax. Like, I don't want him to feel like he has to be in that role, but you can't actually have that conversation. It's too deep in the bone, right? Right. Right. You're right. You're not going to like sit your eight-year-old down and be like, I noticed that I often laugh at your jokes, but I don't want you to think that you have to be funny. Like, how could you do that? Right. How could you? You can't. You can't do that. And I just have to just accept the hilarity and realize that like a need to please by being funny is going to be a part of this child's life for both good and bad down the road. Yeah. I mean, it's an adaptive difference that will only serve this child very well, right? Like, yeah. And to be more serious about it, I have another kid who has tremendous anxiety and that is an adaptive difference maybe that is less positive and also something that I can't really fix through parenting. No, you can't. I can help structure things so that we're not so stressed out. I can help give perspective to things, but I can't make the world not stressful for this human. For this anxious kid. And if you listen to Fluster Clucks, as I do, that's one of... uh, Yes, Yes, part of the Atlas Media Network. Thank you very much. I'm throwing to it because I think it's so important for this moment that if you have an anxious kid, Lynn Lyons calls it doing the disorder, right? That you can very unwittingly, out of a desire to help your kid move more easily through life, like, let me remove these roadblocks or let me help this kid by removing the potential discomfort and treating that kid differently than the other kids. That kid can't pop this imaginary kid can't sit by herself on the airplane because she's my one who worries, right? So she has to sit right next to mom on every trip. And that's differential treatment. Again, I'm not saying it's bad, but it does sort of further shape differences. This is what I was going to get into. Oh, I have a great example of that and something I just learned. So let's take a break because I want to dial in on that. Let's do it. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses, first two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist-approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we? say, and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is... 
toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. So we agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used Hero Bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber, while still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. <laughs> but all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs, and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to Hero.co and use the code MOTHERHOOD at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code MOTHERHOOD for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. Okay, so you're talking about, this is the thing that I mean, like you can't, what's the parable? The road to Samara, is that what it's called? The guy meets death. He hears death is coming for him. So he flees. Appointment at Samara, that's what it's called. It's like an old, maybe it's a biblical story. Okay. He hears death is looking for him. So he runs to try to escape it. And he runs to Samara, this town. And then when death finds him, he says, how did you find me here? And he's like, oh, I've had an appointment at Samara all along. Like I was always going to be here. You know, like you can't outrun. You ran Away from me into exactly, I always knew I was coming to Samara and you were trying to get away. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes our attempts to kind of outwit the baked in the cake stuff of our kids. So here's my example. Uh, anxious kid the other day had to go to a scout meeting, came home very dysregulated, shall we say, agitated, didn't want to go. And I said, to my husband, oh, let's just let him stay home. You know, I feel for him. He looks, he's very, and my husband, who's the scout leader said, oh no, he'll be fine. He always does this. And then he goes and he has a good time and took him. And he, it, he was exactly right. And so I was kind of slapping myself for like, oh, I should have kept him involved. Then we were going to this holiday event that we go to at this farm that we love, where you help herd sheep into a barn for the winter. It's like a holiday themed event. And I love it. Is this, sorry, is this what Pumpkin Town does like for Christmas? Uh, like, shoot, all the pumpkins are. It's Pumpkin Town Christmas. You go and like they march the sheep past you into the barn and the sheep have bells on and there's holiday music playing. It's awesome. But on the flip side, I was saying like, we're all going. This is family fun. This is forced march of fun. And we're all going to the sheep stroll and we're going to the farm. And I had invited a friend of mine who has a kid my kid's age. And I said, oh, is he coming? And she's like, oh, God, no, he doesn't want to go to that. And I realized that on the flip side, I was forcing my kid to go to something that a 14-year-old boy has every right to be like, this is my nightmare. Don't make me go to stand in the farm for the sheep stroll. And so my appointment at Samara sometimes is like forcing kids to try to change to fit my picture of what the family should look like and then letting them off the hook at times I should keep them on the hook to try to make them feel better you know it's just hard what I mean by appointment at Samara is it's 
it's hard to get it right. Like I'm overcorrecting in both directions. And that's something I realized this week. And the comparing kids, right? Bring it back to like comparing kids and if we should do it. Oh, the actual topic of the episode, Amy? Okay. No, but it's true. The reason I feel like I want him to come to the sheep stroll is I feel like the other kids come easily. Right. And I feel like, oh, he is the kid who doesn't participate as much with the family. I need to correct for that by making him more like his brother and sister, who, by the way, did come with us, you know, and that it was it was coming from a place of comparison, which is what brought it to mind. So I'm glad you landed that for me. So Lynn Berger wrote an article for Mother Mag called How Not to Compare Your Children. And she started with this sort of story that, of course, you don't do this until you have two kids, obviously. If you have an only, I guess you might be comparing your only to like your sister's kid or something. You could still have ways in which this plays out. To your sister's kids, to yourself as a kid. Yeah. Kid down the street to yourself as a kid. You're right. And, you know, her number one was a girl, number two was a boy. And they were clocking like, oh, she crawled at 10 months and he didn't crawl till 11 months. And then she walked in. They were doing that. They were clocking one against the other. Again, completely normal. And it's not bad. But her sort of aha moment was that she was comparing them, that that's a thing that you do, that you're making one the baseline for the other. Like if two kids like to go to sheep stroll, then kids should like to go to sheep stroll, right? And there's a baseline that you're comparing. Right. And then all of a sudden I hear about another kid who doesn't want to go. And that's the only thing that opens me up to the idea that it might be reasonable to be a teen who wants to stay home from the sheep stroll. Right. Like if two out of your three kids didn't want to go to sheep stroll, then your story might be like kids hate going to sheep stroll and, and the one who does is the outlier. Right, right, right. And so it's not even bad. It's just like, oh, I'm doing this. Like I'm benchmarking my kid against the other and like who's the baseline i mean who wants to go to the sheep store really is is you i believe are there kids in your family who are as excited about it as you are <laughs> no judgment i'm just wondering yeah i mean i'll go with you we'll leave all the kids home next year please next year you can come you can buy wool scarves it's so nice at the sheep store yeah but like you know crawling at like nine months or never is not like one's not good or bad right but you set one as the benchmark morally neutral yeah right crawling is morally neutral people with babies out there but you set one as the benchmark and it's often the older one the oldest one becomes the benchmark did you walk talk you know play little league or whatever because this is what the oldest kid did we kind of can't help it we do it and the other way that this can play out that gets that Lynn Berger points out in this article that I thought was really smart was that we, without realizing it, she did some exercise. These kids started having more sibling rivalry as they grew up. And she went to some like, let's get our kids to get along sort of workshop. <laughs> did she and, put them in the let's get along shirt? Have you ever seen that picture? Yeah, exactly. It's like two kids in one shirt and it's called the let's get along shirt. Don't do that. Right. So she, No, it's not recommended by any parenting experts. She goes to this workshop and she's paired up with a, with a stranger, another mom, and they're asked to like sit down with you like, hey, like, so th what's your name? I'm Amy. Okay, so tell me about your kids and what they're like. And they describe their kids. She did this exercise with this stranger and again realized after she did it like, oh my gosh, I describe my kids in relation to each other. Like this one, oh, that he's the jokester in our family. And this one's much more serious. Like, well, are they or are they just are you just benchmarking them against the super funny kid and that that she realized that she was describing her kids to a stranger in how they related to each other and not as if they were two individuals not like you describe like if I was describing okay but is that bad are you saying like that's something we shouldn't do because I feel like everybody 
does that? Like, is it bad? I think you can't not do it. You should be aware of doing it. There's a study. Hit me. And I want to get to like when I do want to get around to like, is comparing our kids ever useful? Because I think the answer is yes. You know, I think we can get there. But this was a study about like how not realizing it can actually shape your kid's behavior when you're comparing them without even realizing you're doing it. So there was a study where when mothers and fathers believed one of the kids was better behaved than the sibling, then that kid later on, like they did like studies like 10, 20 years out, the kid who was held to be a better behaved kid by the mother and father, that kid later on said, oh yeah, my parents treated me more favorably than my sibling, reported less conflict, and the sibling reported more conflict, you know, parental, you know, dispreference or however I'd say that, and sometimes more behavior problems. The, the, the kid who was believed to be less well-behaved became even less well-behaved because the parents were acting out a thing in which you're the one that doesn't behave. I get it. Agree. Sounds pretty familiar to me in my family of origin. Yes. Not in a way that scarred me or anything, but like, yeah, I think I was sort of the tough kid, the black sheep a little bit. And then that was became a very self-fulfilling prophecy. And they've done, I was thinking of a study I saw, which like, uh, I don't know if this study is legit at all. So you can kind of ignore it. But basically, they sat down three, (laughs) they sat down a teacher with kids. And they were like, look for the bad behavior, like clock all of the bad behavior. And really, it was a yes, study about where their eye line was and that the majority of the teachers looked the entire time towards the black child. Like the idea was like, I saw this study. That's this is a real study. Yeah. This stuff is very subconscious, but it doesn't mean it's okay. So it's good to do both to acknowledge that like something is going on that you are not aware of, But that trying to become aware of it and work against it is worthwhile. I think you have to acknowledge both parts of it. Because I don't think that you can live in total neutrality in relation to your kids. It's not possible. But the more that you can dial in on like, how do I define my kids and how do I compare them to each other, the better chance you have of working against what some of your inherent prejudices towards your own children might be. Yes. Because there's definitely a thing where like, if I hear a crash in the house, there's one name I call because I know who did it. You know what I mean? And it's not always that child. Right. But I know if something, if I hear something smash and break, whose name is coming out of my mouth to yell at. Right. Or if the lights were left on downstairs all night or, or the refrigerator door is open. Right. Yeah. You- and you talk a lot about this in like picky eating, right? That like you define a child as a picky eater. Yes. Or shy, the shy one. Or the shy one or whatever your definition of the child may be. And then that becomes that kid's destiny kind of, you know, mm-hmm. and my picky eater is very limited in what they eat, but will also eat lobster, which two of my other kids won't eat at all. And so it's, I do think that both things are true, that you have to say that you can't ever be a tabula rasa blank slate person towards your kids and your kids will not give that back to you. And so I just, I hate to put in people's path like, well, if you reward one kid for being well-behaved, the other one is going to go down the dark path of bad behavior and be more, you know, is going to say you were harder on them. 
because I think that's so hard to control for. Right. But at the same time, it's useful to dial in because you can make some adjustments. Does that make it's, sense? Yes. Yes. It's like, here's something to feel really bad about because you're messing up your kids and won't be able to control it. Like, that's not what we're going for. I mean, for headline, here. you're messing up your kids and you're not. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like, I do think that like, as long as you're in the fat part of the bell curve where like, you're doing pretty well and everyone's pretty happy yeah, you're messing them up in 10 different ways you don't know about. So you can't obsess about that. But you may be able to say, just take a half an hour and think to myself, okay, where am I subconsciously comparing these kids and setting up some self-fulfilling prophecies for them that may not be serving us? That's right. Like this, just to be aware you're doing it. That was the point that this Lynn Berger article was making that I thought was interesting. It's like, oh, wait, I'm doing it. Like, I don't even notice I'm doing it. It's just sort of, I do it like I'm breathing. I compare my kids like I'm calling them to breakfast in the morning. It's just part of what I do. And all that, just notice that you're doing it is a way to sort of tease out, I think, like when it's useful and when it's not. But the other thing I, w I guess I wanted to sort of make people feel better about before we sort of try to move to solutions is this whole idea of like, my kids seem so different. Like, why are my kids so different? It's a biological imperative. Right. You can muse about that until the end of time, but it's a thing. It's a thing. It's not you. It wasn't, or maybe it was you and it was them and it was this and it was literally every moment of every day has built them to differentiate from each other, but it's the way we are. So, my kids seem really different is like, yeah, that's not something to like feel bad about or fix. And that I compare them. No. And I mean, it really is. It reminds me, my kids right now are, you know, between 10 and 14. And they're really coming into having like a very different internal life than they had as children. And one of my kids the other day was like, sometimes I feel sad. But there isn't a reason for it. I was like, yes. Welcome to the human experience, friend. Like, and that's the thing, like, you can't really solve for that. Everybody sometimes feels sad for no reason. It happens to everybody. Everybody is formed within the crucible of their family. There's no possible goal that is, we're going to take all of the elements, the way we're formed like rocks by water, you know, like, or rocks in a rock tumbler, like you're smoothed out by other people's rough edges. And... I don't think you even want to solve for that. So I just want to make sure that in talking about it, we don't ever end up in the place of like, it's your fault, Rough Edges mom, or because you treated this, because your four-year-old got abandoned in the lonely seat, that's why he's this now. It's like, no, this is how families work. Like resources are constantly reshifting to other people. My mom sometimes would say to me, you act like, you eat like people are going to take food away. And it's true. I am an incredibly and embarrassingly fast eater. But you were number three of of four, right? That's what I would say. I was three in three years, June, September, September. And I'm like, yeah, guess why I eat fast? Because I was at a table of five people and I was the smallest one. And I always felt like there wasn't going to be more food. Oh, you're that baby bird. They would peck at you. I'm a baby bird. And sometimes my big sister tried to peck me to death. Yeah. But it's not like, oh, you really messed up by having a third child because now, look, she eats too fast and it's your fault. It's like, no, this, everybody has an operating system that is formed by the way they were raised and bumping up against rough edges of other people. And too bad, so sad. All right. 
Let's take a break. When we come back, I have a sort of discerning principle, I think, about when it's okay to compare your kids. A discerning principle, she says, folks. Let's see what that's about. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fresh to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E. Lumen.me and use the code Fresh at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. Well, hey there, Busy Mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and, more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. And now, being a winter mom. From the What Fresh Hell podcast, New York. Snow days are coming, Mom. Make sure to stock up on essentials like hot cocoa for the kids and salty snacks and earplugs for yourself. Texas. It's winter. Place your flip-flops and your winter boots next to each other right by the front door. Might be 75 degrees, might be an ice storm. You just never know. Southern California. It's winter. Prepare yourself to see snowflake decorations in the grocery store, which is the only way you'll know it's winter. Canada. It's winter, minus 12 degrees, and your kids are still walking to school and having outdoor recess. Man, you people are hardy. Alaska. See Canada, but also it's been dark for 20 hours, and your sister-in-law from Seattle is complaining about three inches of snow on Facebook. North Carolina. There will be one inch of snow on Monday. Schools and roadways will be shut down for the entire week. This has been Being a Winter Mom. From the What Fresh Hell podcast. Okay, you ready for a discerning principle? Here's when I think it's totally okay to compare your kids. Uh, Indeed, I am. I've been waiting all break for a discerning principle. I think it's never okay to compare our kids out loud. No, I'm going to edit myself as I'm saying that. Dial it back, dial it back. It is something to be wary of to compare our kids out loud to our kids. Why can't you be more like X? Why can't you sit still like Y? Why can't you get good grades and biology because you're 
sister did whatever. That's probably not a good idea. But I think internally comparing our kids, it, it can be very useful. Example, I had three kids, all had the same teacher in grade school. Two of my kids had no issues with this teacher and the third dead. That was useful information to me. That was useful comparing, right? Because I could say like, okay, just as a bit of information, just like the sheep stool. There are kids in this world who think this teacher is great. So if the third one is having an issue, that doesn't mean the third kid is bad or wrong and will never make anything of themselves. It just means that there's another answer besides this teacher is horrible and doesn't understand my precious snowflake. My husband, who's an engineer, has an expression that we use all the time, and it's become a comforting default in my life, which he just says sometimes, well, that's another data point. And it just means like, there's another piece of information to plot on our graph of information, you know? And so... When we're like, ha, should we buy another car? And then like we go to drive the car and it makes like a sound. He's like, well, there's another data point. Like that's going on the reasons to get another car Mm -hmm. graph. But I think, well, there's another data point is a very useful way to look at this with your kids too. It doesn't have to be quite so heavy. It's like, and also here's my kid who doesn't eat anything. And my definition of him, he, he doesn't eat anything. And then he comes home and he says, can we get sushi? I heard sushi is good. And he eats a plate of it. Well, there's another data point, like picky eater. And I think one thing that's really smart is to keep your data field open at all times. Like don't miss new points of data because you've already decided that in comparing your two kids, you already have it all figured out. You're right. That's when comparing can get when you start to lock it down, right? Like, no, 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 no. This is your column and this is yours. That you should be watching the field for outliers that might not be outliers as data points go. Yeah. And I mean, I do this in that my oldest kid wasn't sporty at all. And then, I mean, I, as we know from talking too much on the podcast about it, hate sports mornings and being outdoors so that my kids were really not ever going to play sports because I just wasn't going to facilitate it and it wasn't going to happen. But I do think if I had had a really sporty kid, would I have made the other kids play sports? I don't know. Like, I do think that sometimes you're, it's the sheep stroll thing. Again, you're just along for the ride and being like, force March of Family Fun is what we do in December. We go to the sheep stroll. And it took someone else saying, eh, my kid thinks it sounds awful for me to break my spell of it is my job to keep the family all doing activities together, especially my kid who doesn't like to participate in family fun. (laughs) It is my role to keep him in the family fun. And in telling myself that story and comparing him to his siblings and other kids, I really miss the memo of guess what teens don't want to do? Hang out in a field with their parents to watch sheep walk by. I have an example about myself to another way that I think comparing your kids can be useful. I have two kids who are adjacent siblings. They're very opposite in many, many ways. They have the same particular beef with me. They lose their patience with me for the same reason. And they're, it's kind of like, it's wide, you know, but it's like they perceive me as being annoyed with them when I'm not, but they're both like, why are you yelling at me? I'm like, I'm definitely, I'm not yelling. I've just said like, I definitely didn't raise my voice. Well, you're kind of yelling. I'm like, I'm definitely not. I'm bewildered by each of them saying it, but I'm getting the same input from two people who are pretty opposite 
reacting to something about me in exactly the same way. So knowing that my kids are so different and having the same reaction to something suggests that it might be a blind spot on my part, that if it were like my two, they're just alike, think that. Interesting. Well, it's good. That's very admirable that you're open to that. I would just be like, these idiots are both wrong. I'm the best. Mm, I've done that too. Mm, Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's a fair point that if more than one person has a problem with you, you might be the problem. Right. If completely different, particularly if they're different people. And I do think that, yes, in general, we're coming down on the side of you don't want to vocalize and compare kids. But I do think this is I'm going to go a little tweet tweet on this one, too. I grew up very much because I went to the same school as my sister. My sister was a total doobie, got straight A's, was like president of the honor society of societies of geniuses in every grade. And I did hear a lot from teachers And maybe a little bit from my parents, maybe more implied that like, but I mean, teachers would literally be like, aren't you Kate's sister? What's wrong with you? I mean, they would just (laughs) full out vocalize like all this stuff that we're talking about. Kids can survive this stuff, too. I just I do come out on the side of like, this is an interesting intellectual exercise to check in about, but I don't think it's that heavy. I would argue that this can actually make you a better parent, right? If you're not supposed to be the same parent to each of your kids, and I don't think you should be, right? Like it's not, I'm I'm quoting Cheryl Ziegler here that parenting is not a one size fits all experience. Of course. I mean, you can try to make it that way, but it'll be pretty difficult if you do. The same things don't work for each of our kids because they're different and we can attune to each of their needs and be the parent each of them needs, by which I don't mean you accommodate every skuminica, as my mother-in-law would say. Like this one wants eight glasses of water before bed and this one wants 14 stories. I'm not saying that. (laughs) You don't accommodate the skuminica. Yeah. The scumines, but but you might, which I think is a made up word, but it's I, I use it. It's I know exactly what it means, though. You know exactly. Let's make it a word because it's a good word. Our kids need different things from us. And when we compare them, we understand that. And then... We can meet each of them where they are and put aside the like, where they well, are. your sister loves it when I ask her about her day, right? Like, well, your other one doesn't. It's okay. Right, right, right. That part of it does seem helpful to me. We have a school concert that is happening that we just realized that both my husband and I are going to miss. So the child will be performing like the... Uh, you know, the sad kid in the movie who like scans the audience, no parents out there at all. Nobody's going. And it's really funny because when I realized it, Uh, uh it's my kid who cares the least about that. You know what I mean? Like there are, again, like I have three kids and in two of them, I might have to the girl's trip. Right, right. (laughs) Quit my job or, you know, my husband might have to not go on this business trip. But this kid's like, he's just easy breezy. He doesn't care, you know? And so... I think the difference between knowing your kid and comparing your kid is something that I feel like I've gotten a lot clearer on in this episode. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not so much, well, your brother would want me to be there and that is good or bad. That like everybody's basic behavior is what it is and is probably fairly morally neutral. And so the comparison is just like, gathering data and then don't let it become a negative where you're saying like, oh, Amy, why can't you be more like? Right, 
Right. The hand wringing. I'm like, why can't you be more laid back like your other kid? Because their rock tumbler was a uniquely anxiety producing rock tumbler, perhaps. Yeah. And some of the stuff, right? I mean, this is deeper stuff, but like some of the stuff they came out of the womb with, right? Like some degree of this anxiety was came from the womb. Or ADHD or, right. Or I guess a sense of humor. Yeah. And some of it is going to be formed in the unique constellation of your family. And some of those things are going to be positive and some of those things are going to be negative. But not all of those things are really within your control, nor would you want them to be. You'd go insane trying to be the perfect parent for every one of your kids. It's it's a losing game. It's like sit back and relax, enjoy the show because it's it's just how it's going to go. Your kids are going to be, be different and then get more different and then surprise you. And that is a little bit the tweet. Tweet, I mean, like my parents and our ancestors grew up in families of, you know, 10 and 12 and nobody was like, let's listen to a podcast and figure out whether or not we're comparing these kids in ways that are mm-hmm. harmful. For them. <laughs> For them, because they missed out on the What Fresh Hell experience. But also, everybody lived, you know? Everybody got through the day. And uh, I think we get it, Amy. I feel we solved it. I really do. We totally solved this. Is comparing your kids ever useful? Yes, inside your head. (laughs) Yes, maybe sometimes inside your head. Inside your head and keep your data field open for new data points at all times. Solved it. Friends, it's a new year. And here's one thing we'd like you to do. How about exploring the Atalyst Media Network of Podcasts? Oh, it's a new year and new time for some something new to listen to. New year, new you. Go to atlasmedia.com. Amy and I now have a network of podcasts. Yeah. And they're all great. We we only sign up podcasts because we're like, hey, we love this podcast. Our audience would love them. Yeah. You'll recognize most of the podcasts featuring guests from our shows. And you might find something new and exciting to listen to in 20, Amy, I'm going to say it, 23. Love it. Yes. I'm not ready for it to be 2023. And with that, thanks so much for listening, friends. Happy New Year. Talk to you next week. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a No Guilt Mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt-free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Get Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. 
you get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.